Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Tuesday, June 20th. 2023 in the Gregorian calendar and the first of Tammuz 5783 in the Hebrew calendar. Chodesh Tov, everyone. Happy new month. We have a new month upon us. What are you going to do with yours? Stay tuned until the end of the show where I'll share some of Yair Shamir's responses to my tough questions from last night's interview. I hosted the son of Yitzchak Shamir, who was the seventh prime minister of Israel, and I asked him a lot of questions on policy and immigration after we all watched his recently released documentary about the life and work of his late father. Now, let's get to the news. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government is giving the majority of control over settlement expansion in the West Bank to Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich, who is considered an ultra-nationalist advocate for settlements. The controversial bill was passed Sunday and has already allowed for the legalization of some previously illegal outposts. Settlement leaders are praising Netanyahu and Smotrich for their initiative to make construction planning in the West Bank similar to that of sovereign Israel, to the way that it's done within the green lines, not on the outside of the green lines. On the other hand, critics say the movement is similar to de facto annexation of the West Bank and would allow for unchecked expansion of settlements. In previous amendments regarding the planning process of the movement, there were at least five stages that required approval from the defense minister. Now, Smotrich can essentially approve settlements with the snap of his fingers. Many are alarmed by these new regulations, including United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who says Smotrich's plan to rapidly approve more than 4,000 settlements by Israeli planning authorities will do nothing but increase violence and tension between Israel and the Palestinian territories. The West Bank is a contentious yet disputed area. It's never been a sovereign land to any specific nation, but the Jewish people see it as their ancestral homeland, as outlined in the Holy Torah or the Holy Bible. The Palestinian people see the West Bank as their land, which they intend to use as the future of an official and sovereign state of Palestine. Israeli troops shot a 20-year-old Palestinian man dead after he threw a Molotov cocktail at an IDF vehicle. The man is the seventh Palestinian killed following an unexpected battle in Jenin, that's a city in the West Bank, and that was Monday, just yesterday. It was a violent day and started off with eight IDF soldiers wounded and six Palestinians shot dead. This happened after Palestinians detonated explosives along the route of an IDF vehicle that was making its way. Two more soldiers were wounded in the evening, and two Palestinian suspects were shot and wounded during an alleged car-ramming attack west of Jenin. All of that just yesterday. 
According to the official Palestinian Wafa news agency, local authorities say clashes erupted at the eastern entrance to the town. Within the past year, the IDF has carried out routine night raids in the West Bank, trying to arrest Palestinians for having carried out terror attacks on Jewish Israelis. A criminal case is now open against a Palestinian prisoner who smuggled a phone into his prison cell in the Ketziot prison. He got the device to speak with family and attempt to record and view the funeral of his brother, who was killed in the Janine clashes Monday. So again, that was yesterday. Israel Prison Service forces raided his cell in order to find the phone and moved the prisoner to solitary confinement. In protest, other prisoners who are members of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad torched a mattress and they were then moved to solitary confinement as well. The Palestinian Prisoners Information Office says they are in extreme tension in the prison following the situation. Russian-Israeli billionaire Roman Abramovich pledged big bucks would go to, quote, all victims of the Ukraine-Russia war, but it seems the $3 billion generated from the sale of the Chelsea FC football club, for which Abramovich coordinated, may not reach the victims of Russia's war against Ukraine in the end. Now, the UK government has sway over how these funds are going to be distributed since Abramovich's account has been frozen. The UK is insisting the money should only be used in Ukraine and not to Russians. The frozen account holding the money remains untouched. Humanitarian organizations are angry as the original agreement was for the funds to assist all victims of the war, even including refugees or people who actually left Ukraine and are not physically there at the moment. The British government is applying political conditions that limit the investment of these funds to Ukraine. However, it is problematic to transfer funds to Russia now since it's legally prohibited due to sanctions on the country. UNICEF UK, the independent foundation responsible for administering those funds, hopes the British government will allow the funds to be distributed outside of Ukraine as well. The foundation is ready to be launched, and there are hopes that the funds can be distributed to a wider range of victims. Just for a little bit of background and explanation here, the Russian businessman Abramovich had a lot of funds in the UK. So his UK funds are the funds that were frozen. And also the UK put a travel ban on him and froze those accounts after they claimed that he had ties to the Kremlin and that he was closely connected to Putin as well. Abramovich is a billionaire. He's Jewish. He's Russian. He's Israeli. He's also known as the former owner of the Chelsea Football Club in London and has a private investment company called Millhouse LLC. In 2023, Abramovich is estimated to have around $9.2 billion U.S. dollars. Thank you to all of you for your interest. In Israeli affairs, thank you for being interested in Israeli affairs. Israeli politics are world politics. 
I also want to thank all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast with monthly contributions. Your contributions are the reason that this show continues. I would not be able to do this without your support. You can go to anchor.fm slash Israel Daily News if you would like to make a monthly contribution as well. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at IsraelDaily.News as well as Shanna Fold. My name has two N's in it and I'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. Now, coming up at the end of the month is the next installment of the Israel Daily News Roundtable. This is a place where we go on Zoom with listeners of the show. I just started it last month. And we talk about our questions, comments, and concerns regarding the news that we've consumed in the previous month. If you are interested in signing up for that, you can go to patreon.com backslash Shanna fold. I also want to let everyone know if you are a new immigrant here in Tel Aviv, I run a lot of programs. I'm having a wine and cheese on Wednesday evening, so that's tomorrow. If you are new in the city, please don't hesitate to get in touch and come meet some high quality people at a private event that I am running. Now, I'm going to give you a taste of the event I hosted last night for Tel Aviv International Salon. This is sort of like a sister organization to Tribe Tel Aviv, which is the organization that I run for immigrants here in Israel. The event was held at the Lehi Museum. The Lehi was a Zionist paramilitary organization founded by Avraham Stern in mandatory Palestine. That means the place of Israel before it was Israel when it was occupied by the British. This group of some 800 members were a big part of pushing the British occupiers out of this area using guerrilla warfare, which was violent, and also had a point in bringing Jews from around the globe without restriction. You see, when the British were here, they restricted Jews from entering this area. And so the Lehi had a vision of bringing all the Jews that wanted to come without restriction. Yair Shamir, who I interviewed, was named after Avraham Stern, whose nickname was Yair. Yair is promoting the documentary he made about his father, who was the seventh prime minister of the state of Israel. The documentary is called Shamir His Way, and it was one hour long, with interviews from former prime ministers and senior figures who knew him and worked with him. The documentary covered Shamir's dramatic and unending list of accomplishments, including negotiating peace efforts with Egypt, his efforts at the 1991 Madrid conference, which focused on peace, and even the 1981 attack on Iraq's Osirak nuclear research reactor, which used United States-supplied F-15 and F-16 aircraft. Despite Shamir, who was the foreign minister at this time, had a great relationship with President Ronald Reagan, he and the rest of the cabinet under Prime Minister Menachem Begin at the time went against the wishes of the United States by pulling that attack. It was quite the scandal. Shamir was also a huge advocate for bringing former Soviet Union Jewry to Israel, though he was criticized for trying to derail Soviet Jews from going to the United States and even tried to have a clause worked out with U.S. president at the time to prevent Soviet Jewry from moving to the United States in order that they should sort of be forced to move to Israel, as he said that Israel was their true homeland. 
Today, Yair Shamir shares many of the same values and political ideas, which are right-wing, though I'd say he came off pretty center to our Tel Aviv crowd last night, and I was the moderator. Yair Shamir was a deputy or second-in-command for the Israel Beitenu party in 2012, and between 2013 and 2015 was the Minister of Agriculture as well. He also set up an organization called Gvahim, dedicated to the education and career growth of new immigrants in Israel. He staunchly believes former Soviet mines are responsible for the high-tech growth that has made Israel a leader in science and mathematics and a prosperous nation in general. He has been the CEO of the famous Elite Food Industries, the CEO and president of Vicon Telecommunications, a board member for Mercury and El Al Airlines, as well as the chairman of Israel Aerospace Industries, which he did that job for no pay. During his tenure, he grew the company an additional $2 million in net profit. That was 2004, and by 2006, he had done $1.4 billion in tradable bonds for the Israel aerospace and industry, and also helped the organization to IPO, or have an initial public offering on the stock market. He also held the role of board member at the Technion University, the most prestigious science and mathematics school in the country, as well as Ben-Gurion University. I'll start with my most contentious question I asked, which is how he responds to claims that today's Palestinian terrorists who spring up to kill Jews are actually freedom fighters. There are media organizations and lots of people who believe that today. Take a listen to his response. I am a Zionist. I'm a Jew who was born in Israel, and this is my homeland. And um, the first I have to take care of my people. First I have to take about our vision, national vision. And it, you can call whatever names you can call the Palestinian or not. But there are two approaches for the Zionist movements. What we call today the, Zi the Zionist left and the right, Zionist right. And I'm talking to you backwards. There was Jabotinsky and there was Weizmann. The Jabotinsky said, uh, the philosophy or whatever you call it, of Jabotinsky said, look, this is our country. But in this country, there are people, other people who are living there. We should live together with them. We should find a harmony how to do that. And now they have the place here to go. You don't transfer them, you don't isolate them. They are part of the place. The left was different. The left said you have to separate them. And when the UN in, uh, came up with a proposition to split Israel to two countries, to to Palestinian country, or they call it, at that point of time, there was no name Palestinians. It was Arabic country and the Jewish country. Ben-Gurion and Weizmann and all the rest accepted. And if you see the map, you won't believe that somebody will, uh, will agree for that. And uh, even here, was, uh, or Jaffa and this country was an Arabic. And uh, so that's why until 55, I think, the Arab population in Israel was under Seger. I don't know how you call Seger in English. How? Okay. It was uh, before between 6 a.m. to uh, 6 p.m. or whatever. They, they could move, but the rest of the... It was a military... Uh, uh, closure. Closure. How? Closure. Closure. Curfew. Yeah, could be closure. And uh, because this was the system. They are. And so along the years, the, they found their identities as Palestinians. They fought for the whatever. We have to fight for ourselves. And uh, if they will call them terrorists or this, I don't care. I care about it. If I can find a way to live together with them, that will be fine. 
but if I will agree to give them a piece of this land, the answer is no. The answer is no. There are a million Muslims, a billion of Muslims around the globe, there's 28 countries. They have to find their way. If they, want, if they don't want to live in a Jewish state as a as free citizen and equal to everything, except the national uh, aspiration, that's fine. An audience member asked Mr. Shamir if he thinks the internal turmoil over Israel's Supreme Court reform could essentially discontinue the state of Israel, meaning that there is so much turmoil over the intense protests in the streets here. He asked Mr. Shamir if he thinks that this is going to kind of lead to a dissolution of the state of Israel. Take a listen to his response. Again, you can look at that in two points of view. If, let's, say, let's go for the demonstration, which is the instability. Have you been there? Observe. Observe. <laughs> no violence. I'm not for it. Don't, don't, don't make me wrong. No violence. The no violence. Maybe here and there against the, they try to block a, the Ayalon and so on. So they fall this there. But it's not. And they protest. They believe in something. Democracy or not democracy, doesn't care. So most of the people there naively and believe in this. So I see that's a positive stuff. They're not afraid to express their, uh, their view. And the police basically treat them like Jewish, talking to you. They're not really police. They let them do this, let them do this. So somebody who came from the outside said, no, they should do that and should do that. I don't like it. And I, I prefer that they would persuade that they are wrong. How to do that is another story. But behind the scene, there are underground streams that really play with those naivety. That's my point of view. And, um, and that's one thing. The other thing is that after a confusion and uh, one election after another, one election after another, suddenly there was a, uh, a right-wing uh, slash religious government that have majority, but not 64 out of 20, 120. And childishly, without, any, without experience, people, people, many of the ministers today doesn't manage a uh, family shop who sells shoes, I don't know. Suddenly they become ministers. <laughs> you know, you suddenly think that you can do everything. And childishly, they decided that they will do, did, did, did all their frustration for years, they will do it in a couple of months. Immediately it evoked what it evoked. And it's create a stream that were covered below the, the ground, suddenly come up. I think that uh, sense will come up into this, on the political side and on this, and those one who try to separate and to do what they want, to, I don't know exactly what they want to achieve, but millions of shekels are pumping into it. It's very organized, extremely good organization. We lose the world, because I don't know what they want to achieve. But one thing is for sure, they don't want to get stability. So if you ask me, yes, it will be fine. If out of this, if we will control it and we, are, we will behave, we are talking reasonably, it will come better than we have been before. Well, that was a powerful experience and an opportunity to be close to someone who gave his entire life to furthering the development of the state of Israel and, of course, by proxy, his father, who did the same through politics. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 21 degrees Celsius and a high of 27 degrees. That's 70 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 81 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. 
I'll send you off today with a song called Ulai Libcha by Ya'ar Sholian, a talented Israeli artist. Enjoy it and have a great and productive day. Yeah.